When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because Jesus said to him the third time, Do you love me? So Peter said to Jesus, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. He said this to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, Jesus said to Peter, Follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had learned back, leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things written that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. I'm glad to be able to announce that so far no children have eaten any volunteers, <laughs> at least not yet. It is said sometimes that uh, 10% of the people do 90% of the work. Have you heard that phrase, 10% of the people do 90% of the work? I've been thinking about that phrase a little bit this week, someone mentioned it to me on Friday afternoon, and reflecting on the reality that that is not the case at College Church. So we are calling you to serve, but we're also celebrating the fact that we are a serving church. There are so many examples of that. You would have noticed how beautifully the shade in the sanctuary just pulled itself back as we were uh, listening to some wonderful music being played and the offering was taken up. I can tell you that took many, many man hours crawling around up there figuring out how to do that without falling through the glass. And they achieved it. I was at a um, meeting on uh, Thursday evening of some of the younger members in our congregation, known as the Keenagers. Um, those of us who have been around the church for a while will understand that they are perhaps, how old are the Keenagers? Over, over 45, maybe? Anyway. And I noticed that in the Keenagers event, there was a little group of people who had been volunteering cooking every month. And uh, it's another example of people who serve. 
I came into uh, church on Saturday morning. I was taking my um, four-year-old son to a soccer game. And uh, I had uh, forgotten to pick up his shirt. And so I had to stop by my office and get the shirt that someone else had given to me. Long story, I will cease it here. And as I went into the, uh, in the building wearing shorts and a t-shirt, as every dad does on Saturday morning, I think, I noticed there was a little group of men who were gathered together to serve. It was a serving day for the church and the community. No, I do not think that at College Church, uh, 10% of the people do 90% of the work. We had almost 10% of the people up on the platform this morning. Uh, But the reality is, nonetheless, it is important for us as a church to remind ourselves of serving regularly and to call each other to service. We are an army that marches to the beat of a thousand volunteers. And so every spring and again at the fall, the children's ministry in particular and also the disability ministry, and you heard uh, also South Campus and many other ministries under the leadership of the Christian Education Board, make an emphasis on reminding us to serve, and that's what we're doing uh, this weekend. Now, I've asked myself, what are the barriers to serving? It seems to me that probably the biggest barrier that most of us face uh, to volunteering at the church is time. And I know I feel that myself, and I'm sure you do as well. But as I've been looking at this passage, I realize the biggest barrier to volunteering is not time, it is priority, what we choose to do with our time. And behind the choice of our priority, what we choose to do with our time, is love. Our love. Who we love, what we love, will determine what we do with our time. You say, I don't believe that, actually, I have enough time to serve this year. I did a little bit of research. I went to the webpage of the United States Department of Labor to find out how much time they estimate uh, by various surveys. Uh, We in America spend watching TV each day. You ready? Two hours and 49 49 minutes a day. Uh, Now, if that's the average, some people watch more. (laughs) And some people watch less. You say, well, uh, actually, that may be the case for some people, but we live in such a busy age nowadays. There really is no time. So I thought, well, I'd uh, assess this by some older examples of people who uh, lived before the age of the internet and TV and whether they ever felt pressed for time. Great preacher J.H. Jowett preached about the turn of the century. People in New York City would stand in line to get into the thousand-seater auditorium where he was preaching. He said this, end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th, 1900 or so. I don't know when this was exactly written, but that was when his ministry was. He said, I think one of the empty phrases of our day is the familiar one by which we express our permanent lack of time. 
Some things don't change. He goes on, we repeat it so often that by the very repetition, here I am looking at my clock immediately, we repeat it so often that by the very repetition we have deceived ourselves into believing it. It is never the supremely busy people who have no time, he says. So compact and systematic is the regulation of their day that whenever you make a demand on them, they seem to find additional corners to offer for uh, service. And then he made a confession. I confess as a minister that the people to whom I most hopefully look for additional service are the busiest of people. And I think that is, uh, largely speaking, the case. I um, consulted W.E. Sangster, again, a very well-known yesteryear British preacher. His son wrote about him this. Time was never wasted. The difference between one minute and two was of considerable consequence to him. He would appear from his study. My boy, you're not doing anything. I have exactly 22 minutes. We can walk around the commons in that time. He then hurtled out of the house at tremendous speed, and I normally had to run to catch up. He would discourse on current affairs, five minutes. Surrey's prospects in country championship, and that's cricket, by the way, two minutes. The necessity for revival, five minutes. The reality of the Loch Ness Monster. Um, I'm not sure what I think about that, but anyway, that was two minutes. And the sanctity of William remain three minutes, and then we be home again. Or let us consult someone very famous, John Wesley. Wesley himself said, leisure and I have taken leave of one another. I propose to be busy as long as I live if my health is long indulged to me. Wesley read history, poetry, and philosophy on horseback. And there were not Kindles then, you can imagine it was a, you know, this, you know, a book. Um, Wesley said, though, I am always in haste. I am never in a hurry because I never undertake any more work than I can go through with perfect calmness of spirit. My guess, I don't have any statistics for this, but my guess is that the kingdom of God is more robbed of its advantage by binge-watching Netflix, catching up on the sports news, entertainment, uh, than by almost anything else. Two hours and 49 minutes a day, to be precise. Before we look at the passage, here is one final quotation that will bracket the sermon. It's from C.T. Studd. One life to live, soon past, only that which is done for Christ will last. What do you love? Whom do you love? Look with me at John chapter 21 again. Now, John chapter 21 is... um, Really, two stories uh, that intersperse and intersect together, one about Peter, one about John. We're not going to look at John this morning. They are both about love. Uh, John is the disciple whom Jesus loved, and Peter is the disciple who confesses his love. And so they connect together, and they're both being called to serve, commissioned, 
As we come to this fourth and final in our series, Four Steps to New Life, the transformation that comes as we serve in new life. But we're just going to focus on Peter, and this is verses 15 to 19. Look down with me. When they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, uh, John, the author of the gospel, puts in parenthesis to explain to us. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, Jesus said to him, Follow me. Whom do you love? And therefore, how do you prioritize your time? The answer to that question will transform your life. And this passage has three um, connecting uh, links in a chain to loving and therefore serving. First, leave the past behind. Second, Check your ego at the door. (laughs) Third, love Jesus. Leave your past behind, check your ego at the door, love Jesus, and therefore be transformed by serving. First, leave leave our past behind. I find pastorally, as a minister, as a gospel preacher, as someone who has spent time talking to people in in their studies and their work about their lives, that many people hesitate to volunteer because they are burdened by their past mistakes. And they dwell on their sins. And this is why this is such a precious story. This is the great apostle Peter. You remember, he denied Jesus not just once, but thrice, three times. No minor sin, no simple mistake. It was a three times repeated public betrayal. He embarrassed himself and he dishonored Christ. But now Jesus, just as publicly, before his friends... Three times over, recommissions Peter. Now, why does he do it three times over? There are all sorts of different theories. One scholar says Jesus' threefold repetition of his question may reflect the Near Eastern custom of reiterating a matter three times before witnesses in order to convey a solemn obligation. In other words, it's kind of a covenant. It's a covenant statement, making it formal. That is certainly uh, possible. I think it was also a not-so-subtle reflection of Peter's three-times denial, now overturned with three-times commission to start again. Let me put it like this. This is a sentence I've thought through carefully and tried to craft just right. Listen to it. There is no sin too great that once forgiven by Jesus can any more block some kind of service 
in the kingdom of God. There is no sin too great that once forgiven by Jesus can any more block some kind of service in the kingdom of God. In other words, leave the past behind. No longer exist in the shadow lands of regret and recrimination. It's my mistake. No, it's someone else's mistake. No, I sin what I have sinned against, and therefore I sin because they sinned against me. Recrimination and regret. Leave the past behind. Shall I repeat it three times? Will that help? Actually, I sometimes think it shows Peter's greatness that he only needed to hear it three times. Isn't the truth that some of us here this morning have heard the call to leave the past behind many, 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 many times? Here it is once again, leave the past behind. Will you say how? Well, I wonder whether it comes to the second theme here in this passage, which is ego. Is it not actually a hmm, strange kind of pride that makes us think that our sin is too great to leave behind when Peter's, well, Peter could leave his terrible betrayal in the forgiving arms of the crucified Savior? So second, check our egos at the door. Now, of course, this verse 18 where Jesus refers to the cross has deep theological significance. I won't get into all that, but let me just paint a brief picture. From the time of great King David, the Bible looked for the good shepherd in David's line. David, of course, was the shepherd king who is going to be the good shepherd. And Jesus in John's gospel has earlier said that he is the good shepherd. Why? Because he lays down his life for the sheep. So the framework of what a shepherd is, is someone who gives his life for the sheep. David did that imperfectly. Jesus fulfilled that shape of what a shepherd is by perfectly fulfilling the promise of being the good shepherd. And that same shape, that same template is then passed on to Peter. He has been called to shepherding, pastoral ministry. Pastor means shepherd. And so Peter, like all um, Christ-honoring shepherds, are meant to reflect the model of the cross that he will preach by also laying down his life for the sheep. So he will stretch out his hands, uh, filled, uh, literal, filled literally uh, in the life of Peter, a phrase uh, understood to refer to dying on a cross. It would be like saying he will put his neck through the noose, Stand up uh, before the firing squad, he will stretch out his hands. Now, none of us is Peter, none of us is Jesus, not many of us are pastors. But all Christians are called to check their egos at the door if they are to serve. We had it uh, quoted in the video, the greatest among you shall be servant of all. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve I sometimes think that heaven's record will show that more ministries have been spoilt by people who think they are always right than by people who occasionally make mistakes. Give me a person who makes a mistake any time over someone who thinks he never does. 
Diotrephes. Uh, 3 John tells us, love to be first. And if you love to be first, rather than this higher love that Peter's been called to, it will spoil ministry. Now get low, and one day you may be lifted up. The high seat at the table is only safe for the person who's been humbled, and God only, God graciously, often, keeps us from that seat until we no longer want it but want him and the work, not the honor, which sometimes comes with the work and sometimes, frankly, does not. You say, well, why then should I serve him? That sounds hard. Here's why. Because when you check your ego at the door as you serve, what's going to happen is you're going to experience community. When you check your ego at the door, you're able to make friends. If you have not yet made good friends at College Church, I have one simple remedy for you. Volunteer today to serve in Kids Harbor. Within a month, I predict, you will have more friends than you can know what to do with, and some of them will try to eat you alive. Serving has a way of breaking down barriers because it breaks down ego. And ego, of course, is the barrier to friendship and community and fellowship because we don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to say that we need prayer. If you go to a place where there's little community, almost always there is much pride. And the remedy, here's why it's served, because the remedy is serving. You know, I love it. I've said already that we are a serving church, and it's a wonderful sign of God's work among us. I love it when I see PhDs changing diapers. Isn't that great? I love it when I see CEOs sweeping stairs. Isn't that great? I love it when I see students visiting older people. Why? Because then our egos are being checked at the door and Christ is being honored and the community. And if you want community, check your ego at the door and serve. And the community that you experience and the community of the church is going to grow. will be built. So leave the past behind, check your ego at the door, and then third and most importantly, love Jesus. I've said already that what we love will determine how we spend our time. And, uh, you know, most of us in this country have significant liberty to know what to do and choose how to use our time. What decides what we prioritize is what or whom we love. And this is why, of course, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me, not do you have time for me? A lover always makes time for the loved. You know, there's a 22-year-old man, and he's got a sweetheart, and um, he's decided that it's right for him to propose to her. A ring by spring. Sun outside, here's the time. But he has finals coming up. He's got a paper to write. I'll leave it till next year. Can you imagine it? 
Do you love me? If you love Jesus, you will serve the church. That's the connection. You will serve the sheep. Why? Because they are Jesus' sheep. And if you love him, you will love those he loves. I don't think I can leave this part of the sermon without quoting from 1 Corinthians. Of course, the Corinthian church was a busy and big and impressive church, and yet they had not love. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am. I am what? nothing. It's interesting, I think, that Peter's famous confession, uh, you are the son of the living God, occurs not in John's gospel, but in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Instead, in John's gospel, we have Peter's confession of love Why was Peter asked to confess that he loved Jesus? You know, some days I'm convinced that the theological controversies of the global church would be much easier to solve. We found it easier to love. The golden rule of hermeneutics and theology is, does this please the one I love? Not, does it get my name more well known? And I am convinced that the reason why we at College Church do serve It's because we do love. And I am further convinced that if this weekend there is an outpouring of fresh desire to serve in disability ministries and children's ministries and South Campus and many other opportunities like that, it will be not a sign of busyness, not a sign that we don't have anything else to do, not even primarily or first of all a sign that we love church things. It will be a sign that we love Jesus. I wonder what loving Jesus means to you. I am afraid that the currency of love today has been devalued by a thousand false intimacies, a million trivial sentimentalities, and a billion empty platitudes. 
for Jesus and for Peter, to love Jesus meant the cross. What does it mean to us? Does it mean a gooey feeling in the pit of the stomach? It could be love or it could be the pizza you ate last night. Does it mean uh, singing a um, song with particular enthusiasm? We sing with enthusiasm here at Cottage Church. We've already experienced that. And the last song we're going to sing this morning is worth singing loudly and passionately. And yes, that is a sign of love, just like the young man will declare his love in poetry to the one that he loves. But the, vo- the value of our love is not marked by the emotion with which we sing a song, as valuable as that is. Nor is it marked by whether we sing a song with our hands in our pockets or hands up here, and you're welcome to do that too, or, you know, at kind of half-mast, you know, full up, half-mast, hands in pocket, you know. You know, great love, little love, not much love. Um, If you love me, Peter, feed my sheep. We're not all pastors here. If you love me, serve my sheep. That's how you know whether you love Jesus, whether you serve the church. One life to live soon passed. Only that which is done for Jesus will last. Let's pray. All I have is Christ. Hallelujah. Peter, do you love me? What is your answer to that question? If yes, serve the church.